Alright, so uh, first off, thank y'all for the ones that tuned back in. Uh, we really do appreciate it. We were having some technical difficulties uh, with the podcast. Um, it was having some glitches. So in either case, thank you for sticking with us. We're going to start back at the top um, with our conversation and bring our special guest back in to the conversation. So again, let's just play the warning for those that are just jumping in. We're having a conversation about policing in America um, and engaging in that conversation. So thank you for joining as always. Welcome to P2P. This episode displays graphic content of police shootings and engagements that some may find unsuitable for children of young age. The staff at P2P Radio felt that this viewing was needed to fully address the ongoing problem of police brutality in order to have an uncensored conversation. Viewer discretion is advised. Welcome to Power to the People Radio. So, as always, thank you for joining back into the show. I am your humbled host, Rick Ryder. Um, pulling us back into the conversation, we're talking about policing in America with our guest, Dion Duff. So, we better bring her back into the mix and jump off in the conversation like we were. We were talking for about 30 minutes um, before we had our issues. So, thank you again for those that are jumping back in and engaging. Um, we really do appreciate it. And hopefully, our audio for her and for myself is better this time around. So, without further ado, ma'am, how are you doing? I'm good. How you doing? I'm good. Hey, Again, um, hopefully uh, the the audio is better this time. I'm seeing it bounce this time, so um, hopefully all our guests and um, audience members will be able to hear the great dialogue that you're giving us uh, in this conversation. So um, let's let's start off that we were and we was talking about uh, training in the police force. Um, especially in light of uh, some of the recent shootings that had gone on. So I'm going to first show you uh, the, the clip which I'm referring to is Jason Harris. And he is a, um, a, a man who is living with his mother. Um, he is uh, schizophrenic and bipolar. Um, he was having an episode, his mom called police so that they can help defuse the situation. Um, however, it quickly escalated from there. Um, I will show that. I will warn you. Does have graphic and disturbing footage, um, and then we will talk about it at, at the end of the clip. Hello. Hello. What's going on? Hey, so that was the shooting that occurred. Um, he had a screwdriver in his hand, Dion, and he ended up dead. Um, Again, this is a this is a, a real life situation. That's why he wanted to sit in it uncensored because this is an everyday situation in these communities um, where that person might end up dead. So, do you think the training is thorough enough in our police communities right now to help defuse those kind of situations? Um, no, because it's a screwdriver. What do you mean? Like we play video games all day where you shoot someone off of instinct so it's a screwdriver 
what threat was that besides him running up on you? The job of the police support, the police department, and I thought their training was to disarm the the assailant and to make sure that the threat was taken away before deadly measures were taken. So unless we're filling their head in the academy with, we'll just go ahead and take them out, then, you know, no, the training is not there. And the excuse that they were jittery or scared, it's not acceptable at all. Absolutely. And in fact, if you, if, um, I will play the clip again, but if you notice the clip, um, the, the, the police also actually had a taser on him. Um, and so, uh, in that scenario, he could have defused the situation. Um, the kid only had a screwdriver in hand, so in that case, it could have, like you're right, it could have either been um, ended up to where he might have been hurt. I thought, I thought how a taser would have hurt him, but he would not have been shot and he would not be dead. Um, but these are cases, and this is not, you know, other thing that is frustrating to hear is that these are, you know, far few between scenarios. Uh, those are rare occurrences, but we have multiple cases. Tamir Rice is one of them as well. Kid who's 12 years old playing in the park with a BB gun. It took less than five seconds between that cop jumping out the car to Tamir Rice ended up with bullets inside him. Um, so th there has to be an adjustment in our police society, in our culture, um, to where these police officers are not automatically jumping to escalation to uh, complete lethal force. And in hindsight of this, is that it's, it's baffling to me is that the military also practices stricter de-escalation forces when engaging with foreign adversaries. Um, right. it, it, you know, if the, the RE and the rules of engagement are more stricter for armed personnel that are deployed than for police engaging with U.S. citizens. So, um, it, it, there has to be a, a cultural change uh, in our society. And um, for the way we're going to talk about, and I wanted to bring your your opinion back in because they didn't hear your audio. Um, but as far as with Justine, I think that is part of it that when you have a a uh, a white female, uh, or Australian immigrant, um, be shot down, she's automatically taken to be you know um, a bride to be killed. That she was tragically taken too soon, um, and things of that nature. But when it happens to Pharrell Castell, it was a reasoning as to why he ended up dead. So do you, why do you think the media also engages uh, in this kind of rhetoric differently with different victims? That goes back to inherited racism because people believe that they're not racist, but the stories that they hear over time through their family is racist. So for someone to grow up thinking that black people or people of any ethnic background does something illegal every time that they they get caught or the police stop them. It's just inherited racism. And because she was a white female, because I guarantee you, if she was a Hispanic, it would have that she was doing. So because she was a white female, they automatically believe that she was innocent. But if she was not of her distinct of her of her um, background then they would have believed that did you get a message that something went wrong 
I hope not. Um, I have not yet. <laughs> but we'll have our uh, producer check back and see see what's going on with it. Um, okay, but but the the media believes that black people or people of any background that is not white is wrong. <laughs> it's like we have some audio quality glitching up again. So. Uh, sorry about that. We were checking back and forth, and it seems to be uh, working on and off now. But um, okay. But yeah, I agree that it it, it is uh, sometimes is that inherent, and I think that that plays into also in the police society because I think that there's that inherent fear that for an African American uh, man or female is that they're they're hostile, they're a threat. Um, so to that cop, he's already. Um, coming in with a purview that he needs to have a heightened sense of awareness because he thinks for whatever reason there's a threat there. Um, and and I think that, that it Were you aware that the LAPD had something at one point in time that they said you had to handle black assailants differently than you mm -hmm. handle white assailants because, the, because of our stronger necks, that they had to be choked differently in order to be arrested. These are the type of things that are passed down verbally through the police force. No, I did not. I definitely did not know that. Um, and I'm glad that you brought that up to the conversation because you were actually saying something and I, w I want you to give uh, more detail if you can uh, about the origin of um, the police force and how it's kind of connected uh, similarly um, in slavery. So if you could uh, expound on that, please, uh, about the history of uh, the police force as well. Okay, the LAPD, I mean, the well, the New York Police Department, the NYPD, they were founded in 1845, 20 years before slavery had ended. Now tell me, if you were founded before slavery was ended, what was your ideas of black people prior to the emancipation and the civil rights movement. What was the ideas passed down to this for all white, you know, organization? And then in the South alone, the whole principle of the police force or policing was to capture runaway slaves. So why would why would we think that things had changed because they added black people to, to their force? Mm -hmm. You're right, and, and that's you know that's what we hear oftentimes is that um, if you add in you know more more blacks, you add in more Hispanics, you add in more of these minority communities, that inherently that the culture will change. Um, but I I, I I disagree with that because it has been such an incremental part of that of that that system that it doesn't matter how many how many blacks you have, an X amount of blacks is going to end racism in a police force. Um, it's a cultural problem right. and the amount of minorities you have doesn't change the cultural issue. Um, and so that is something that, that needs to be covered. And, and this is, again, it has its roots, not only in just the police force, but in the media as well. That's why they address it differently. Um, and it has it inherited in our culture. That's why you hear, um, when a African American is shot in a story, that there needs to be a wait, a pause on, and we need to look through the investigation first before we come to a conclusion. But in the case of Justine, it was automatically assumed that she was innocent, that she was taken too soon, that the police needed to change because they had killed this person way too hastily. 
Um, and, and so the next point I want to make up is, is, again, they didn't hear your take on the top, and that is our president, um, because the engagement and the tone comes out from him. And so I'm going to play the clip of the joke, the joke that he said uh, at the NYPD, and then I would love to get your take at the end of that clip. So let's play it for our viewers. You see these towns, and when you see these thugs being thrown into the back of a paddy wagon, you just see them thrown in, rough. I said, please don't be too nice. Like when you guys put somebody in the car and you're protecting their head, you know, the way you put their hand over. Like, don't hit their head and they've just killed somebody, don't hit their head. I said, you can take the hand away, okay? So in that clip, um, it is, uh, it, <laughs> it's, it's kind of infuriating to, to see that clip again. But anyway, it is the, of our president um, doing one of two things. Um, the first one is he is telling the police force that he wished that they would not treat suspects too nicely. In the context, he's talking about the M613 gang. But in this country, it is innocent until proven guilty, not the other way around. So. That person, regardless of what you may think, as a citizen, as a president, as a police officer, is innocent until a jury of his peers, even though the system is not perfect, at least that is that intent of it, is proven otherwise. So there was that aspect. But however, the second aspect is when the um, media asked the White House about it, it was taken that, well, he was just joking. And I think that one is equally um, insulting because Black Lives Matter has at least been in the media for four years. So, in this aspect, this president seemed to think that police brutality is a ha-ha moment and a, a, a kiki little moment that he can have with police officers. Um, what was your reaction to that? So when you were in middle school and they called in a bomb threat, did they let the school out? Yeah, they did. Okay, but somebody called joking, but they let the school pull out, right? Mm-hmm, correct. Okay, so when when Tamir Rice had the BB gun, did he not get shot even though it wasn't real? That is correct. Exactly. So that is the, there's no space for joking in serious matters, especially from a man who claims to be you know the the leader of the free nation. There you cannot joke about things like that. That's not a funny matter in a heightened sensitive situation such as police brutality when there have been over 122 shootings since, well, uh, in February of 2017 of innocent people being killed by the police. That's not funny. It's not a joke. Either they're letting him run his mouth like a toddler or they're not educating him on the facts of what's going on. Now, the only good thing that came out of this is there were a lot of police officers that had spoken up against it. It was like, wait, no, 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 we don't feel that way. And it's not because of their job or their position in the community. They now feel as if their personal lives are at stake because of something this man has said. Now, if, if the people and somebody without good God-given common sense felt as if all police officers were against them because they had been given free range to handle assailants how they feel, then they will go and they will attack the police at their home or when they're changing shift or when they're no longer wearing that blue shield. That's the only reason most of them spoke out. 
And for him not only put their lives in danger, he put the lives of the American people in danger because now we're hostile even more towards them. It was it was a miscarriage of, of a statement from a man of such high power. He not only should be ashamed of himself, he didn't even retract his statement. He allowed his people to say it was a joke. Now, now what is that? I agree. I, I fully agree. I think that um, at some point in time, you, you can make mistakes. It, and this president is a one full of mistakes. But the part of it is that when you acknowledge that you're wrong, you acknowledge that you're wrong. And pivoting to, well, I wasn't serious or, well, it was a joke, that only made the issue worse because with the, the connection that you have with these communities that are already frail, if existent at all, are now further damaged because you're now taking the one, one of the one issues that they are constantly united on and making it to a joke. Um, so I completely agree. I think that he not only did a disservice to, the, to those minority communities, he also did a disservice to the police force um, because you're right, it made that characterization because in the middle of this joke, and to, the, and to the police force credit, it seemed like they didn't know if they should clap or laugh. It seemed awkward. But at the end of the day, they did clap. So now you have this, this, the president joking about police brutality and the police force, who is apparently in on the joke, clapping and applauding with them. Um, and, and that's they the imagery. Obligated. Exactly. They felt obligated to the man. And, and, what, and what that is, is you throwing your, your weight around of, of your position because you're making people who don't agree with you clearly like you said it was an awkward situation having to applaud something that they don't agree with exactly absolutely um, so I think that at the top is, is a definitely need to uh, adjust the tone however I think that some of this stuff is a is a red herring not a red herring excuse me a, a, a red meat to his base um, because if you look at this week after he lost the health care bill, he started with affirmative action. He has started with his immigration policy. He has started with the transgender um, ban. So he's created all these little easy targets uh, for his base so that he can reshore up like, hey, you know, you, I'm still with you. I'm still in your corner um, and I'm still one of your guys. And I think that we can be optimistic. I used to be optimistic um, for the president, but I don't think that he's going to change um, at all. In this, in at least in this aspect, this president—he is, is not here to serve the people. The whole point of holding any political office is to serve the people. Even when you get, even when Barack Obama won office, he at his acceptance speech said, "You know, Republicans, Democrat, I am still your president." You know, he was he was trying to bring everyone together. Even if you don't, he said, if you don't agree with my views, I'm still your president. He did everything he can that even made some of his supporters upset trying to do what was best for the people. This man is not working for the people. This man is working for himself. I can't even say he's working for his family outside of, you know, trying to put them in, in places of hierarchy just because just they feel like it, you know, nepotism. But at the same time, you know, he's out for himself. He's out for his ego to be stroked. How do we allow this man to be over us who cares nothing about our well-being as a people? And like like he said, he, he, he lied on the Boy Scout. You spoke about that earlier, about how he said, oh, I w it was the greatest speech. It was the great. The Boy Scouts was like, well, uh, sis, I'm sorry. We, we said nothing of that nature.
we we didn't we didn't say you did anything great. If anything, you did it a dis a disservice to us, and you embarrassed our organization. But he didn't hear that. I'm not sure who President Trump Wrangler is, but they need to pull him back in and at least give him decorum on how to conduct himself as a public leader. Fully agree with that. Um, I don't think. And that was the thing about it, and that's the thing that I want to tie him back in as well. Um, and, and we're kind of shifting more past the police in, in America, but it speaks to the culture broadly. Um, that during the campaign season, during um, that even when some of his family was getting mixed up in some um, borderline illegal activities, it was always that notion of, you know, he can change. He, um, when the bus video came out, it was that he was young, um, that. He, he was young at the age of like 60 something, um, but you know, it was excusable um, when his sons have done stupid um, criminal behavior. It was that, well, they're young, you know, Jared is like 36, I believe. Um, yes. But he's young. But when you have instances of young black people, black men, black women, um, it is automatically that the thugs, the gangsters, their hoodlums, uh, so therefore, regardless of the age, they deserve whatever action was done to them. They get snapped, they're thrown on the floor, get um, body slammed by police officers. But yet, because they were unruly, quote unquote, they deserve that kind of those kind of actions. Why do you think? Um, because they are of a different hue. That's why the public believe they deserve a different scenario and a different narrative. Because they didn't come from a, a line, a lineage of wealth that was stolen. They, they didn't come from that. They came from disfranchisement and, and from poverty most times. And then, and then if they didn't come from that, they still feel like they did something to deserve the type of treatment that they have gotten because of their color of their skin. Before you even ask about their action, the immediate reaction is, well, what did they do? I follow alnews.com all the time just to read the comments. And the first thing they say when, when somebody black did something, it was like, well, oh my God, well, did he check his tone? Or he shouldn't have talked, he shouldn't have talked. Sandra Bland, the first thing they said, well, she shouldn't have you know, raised her voice to the police officer. Why shouldn't she? I've seen many college students yell at police officers in a rage because their team has lost a game. But did they did they get shot or did they get arrested or did they get choked out in a prison somewhere? No. It's because the color of their skin were automatically demonized mm -hmm. because of the color of our skin. And that is that's the basis of it. People don't want to admit to it, but that's what it is. Absolutely, and that's why I want to bring in this conversation to back to uh, for still, for, um, excuse me, Philando Castell, um, because he's a good example of that. Because in these scenarios, um, how we are trained um, or how we are taught that it's always to defuse those situations, we always need to put the, the police officer at ease. Um, our rights. And we covered this in one of the earlier shows. Our rights are taken second place. Our humility is taken in third place. Our safety is in fourth place. And it is always do whatever is necessary, whatever it may take. Be a yes sir, be a yes ma'am. You, if you need to put your face on the floor, do whatever. Let them step all over your rights. Do whatever it is so that you don't end up dead. For right. Castell, and that's why I want to bring this up, um, is because 
um, he did everything right. He was a yes sir. He was that person that uh, remained humble. All this kind of stuff. And he still ended up with five bullets inside of him. Additionally, in front of his daughter. Exactly. And that's taking and that in that in that respect is the more um, exemplifying thing to me because you have two people now. You have his fiance who has her, her boyfriend who just got shot and killed and she cannot even touch him because she knows that if she reaches out, if she tries to grab his shirt, anything, she will end up dead. On top of that, now you have a four-year-old girl in the backseat of this vehicle that has just been shot into five times, still have to be in the mindset, still have to be mature enough that she's going to tell her mom to calm down so that she doesn't end up dead. How in America, this is happening in America, do we allow this kind of behavior to happen? How is it that that is accepted in this country that a black person has to be that young, that trained, that mature, that she has to come down her mother so that she doesn't see a second dead body in less than an hour? If that is the case in this country, then we can no longer accept that the system works, that justice is had, that there is always a, 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 a end result that would see justice at the end of the day, that I don't think that exists anymore. You're right, Rick. It is, it's very, it's, it's unfortunate that she had to be four years old and comfort her mother. But at the same time, it's expected because what about the children whose fathers were lynched in front of them? See, this is a situation where people expect for us to be used to it. They're desensitizing us from the fact of police brutality towards the African Americans. Until until Rodney King, where it was recorded, they, there was no conversation about police brutality unless it was whispered in the black communities. Down to there was a there was a meme that was a joke saying that I thought I was against the law to ride in the car with the car light on. But no, it was actually for black people. So so white police officers did not see that there were black people driving in the cars. It's, be, it's expected of us to take a back seat. It's expected of us to be stronger than what we are. Because what, we're used to it? Is, is that what it is? And all they're doing is because it's recorded now and technology is so fast and, and we can put it out there. We're so angry. That's how we're being portrayed. Not passionate hurt but we're angry and of course it's the police fault have you noticed every time there's a police shooting or there's something wrong going on with the police department they put up a video of the police dancing with black children or the police saving somebody i don't know if it's staged or i don't know if it's actually or they're just saving these videos to throw it out there all of a sudden but what I do know is, is what they're trying to do, they're training our mindset to believe that this is okay. And if it keeps happening for years and years, then eventually we'll accept it. And they're going to hush us. They're going to kill the Black Lives Matter like they're trying to do with the Black, uh, the black Panthers. That's, that's all they're trying to do. They're trying to make it a normal thing. Because you'll never, you'll never hear them say, oh, she was or he was the most innocent victim out there, as they did Justine. You'll never hear that say. Exactly. And I think that this brings us to, to the last point I uh, want to touch on uh, before we conclude, is that the sense of justice, like we, like we were just talking about, is that we were told time and time again that the system is fair. 
that justice is blind. That if you put us in the front of a group of our peers, that it will all wash out in the end and that fairness will ensue. In these multiple cases, Walter Scott, Philando Castell, Tamir Rice, where there's always that excuse, there's always that next border that if you have multiple witnesses, then apparently that will, that will show up the truth. We have multiple witnesses. We have Facebook Live. You have millions of people watching. If you have video cameras, if you have body cams, then that will show the end of the day. Justice will definitely be had when you have video footage. We have body cameras literally showing cops planting evidence, literally showing people running away and end up with bullets in their back and cops planting weapons on them. Literally showing corruption through all throughout. Yet still, we get mistrials. Yet still, we get not guilties. Yet still, we get administrative leave with pay. So how is it that we are supposed to believe as black people, as minorities, that this system is fixed or this system is fair without taking this into consideration, without taking into consideration that the system was built on injustice. The system was built on slavery. So how is a system that is built on injustice designed to be fair? What is your take on that? It wasn't fair from the time Columbus planted his boat over here. It's never been fair. America's been corrupt since day one. And it's always going to be corrupt because that's exactly what it was built off of. It was built off taking something from somebody else to benefit the wealthy. And that is it. And that is all that's going to go on. So is the system ever going to change? No. You know who's going to change it? We, the people, can change the system. But what we're going to have to do is ignore what they're trying to do or what they're trying to build. A jury of our peers, think about the questioning they have for the jurors. You know, you have to keep all these things in mind. Laws, you know, they, they work in the benefit of those who know it. Unless you have the money to hire someone that know the loopholes to the law, you're not gonna get anywhere with it because public defenders don't get paid enough to even care enough to try to get somebody off. For the most part, there are good attorneys out there, like there are good police officers out there, but they don't push them to the to the forefront enough for them to want to help the people that need the help. So can can we ever benefit off the system? Not less than 5%? No. Okay. It's all about who you... Exactly. Um, I think that <clears throat> you're right that there needs to be a, a, a fundamental shift in how our judicial system works. Um, we haven't even touched on the military complex of it, the private, I mean, not, excuse me, not the military, the private um, pr prison complex of it, of how uh, prisons are literally holding quotas for the government to meet, um, saying that you have to fill up these many beds by either the month or by the year, otherwise we're going to just shut it down. So the government is looking for people to arrest. Um, we haven't talked about how inmates are treated in prisons. We haven't talked about any of that, that process about, like you were saying, um, public defenders or how they have caseloads out of the of the wazoo because they're not getting paid enough and there's not enough of them to spread out caseloads. Um, so you are fundamentally, I, I agree with you um, that these conversations need to continue to be had so that we can change it. Um, because it, again, it speaks to the nature of our country um, that 
we have to stop wrapping ourselves up in this mentality of this perfect, um, almost borderline statism, but I would say this, this blinding um, patriotic behavior that you cannot accept any flaws that your country has. Um, we as black people um, still fight for this country. We fought for this country back when we were even slaves. We still fought for this country. Fought for this country, we were third world citizens. We were considered three-fifths of a person. We still fought for this country. We still wanted to pledge allegiance to the flag. So if any group, set group of individuals showed patriotism, it was those minority communities. So now there has to be a point that we can address the flaws in our system. We can address the flaws in our country. Not because we hate the country, but because we want to hold it accountable to the ideas that it was supposed to be, to be founded on. Uh, but that is a conversation I, that... Go ahead. I, I want to speak to that real quick, what mm -hmm. you said. between There's a difference between being patriotic mm -hmm. and feeling privileged. The difference is the patriotic people will, will flee to America or they will do whatever it is to fulfill the American dream without hurting the, the face of America. Mm -hmm. they, they, will, they will put the flag everywhere. They, they will work hard and they will teach their children to work hard and love this land. Now, privilege is when you feel like you're owed something because you're American. There's the difference. And that's what set minorities apart from everyone else. That was powerful, and I think that was a good um, a good conclusion. Thank you for for that. Um, Dion is a uh, one of our special contributors to the program. This is her first premiere. Um, we're going to be having her a whole lot more often. Um, again, Dion, thank you for uh, your insight and your opinion. And I want to apologize again for the technical difficulties that we had, but we would love to have you on much more often. I would like to hear from you all more too. Thoughts, opinions, you know, different sides, different points of views, because it's going to take us to change the narrative, not them. We can't put power in their hand. We need each other. Absolutely. And to be fair, for all disclosure, uh, we did invite a police officer um, to get on so that he can give us his opinion and his take on it. Um, it did not work out. But we do, uh, we had conservative on last week uh, versus liberal. We all want to get different viewpoints so that we can continue to this dialogue and engage throughout the uh, spectrum on whatever discourse that we may have. So Dion, thank you again for being on. Um, and we look forward to having you in the future. All right, yeah, enjoy your evening. So um, that was our show for this week. Uh, again, thank you for tuning in. It is greatly appreciated. Um, Again, sorry for technical difficulties. We are trying to improve the show uh, constantly, and sometimes we may have glitches and all that kind of sorts. But in either case, uh, thank you for tuning in. You can uh, make sure that you follow us on our social uh, media. Uh, we are on Twitter, on Facebook, and on YouTube. We're going to be putting this show up um, this week. <coughs> Excuse me. So make sure that you check us out on that. And also you can subscribe to our podcast on SoundCloud and subscribe to us on iTunes as well. So if you were not able to catch us um, here on Facebook Live, you can always feel free to catch us on the go. So until next time, thank you for tuning in. Next week we're going to have um, a special two-episode um, premiere. We're going to be doing one with um, a, a fellow 
friend of mine who has moved from being a small town hero to being an international model. Uh, so we'll be talking with him and also we'll be trying to talk about immigration as well with the upcoming Trump um, plan. So make sure you stay tuned in for that. Until next week, as always, stay safe, stay blessed, and proud to the people.